friend of mine and I were having a conversation yesterday about identity, about who we are, um, not who we think we are, but who does God say that we are. Um, some of you, if we had time to go around the room, would be able to tell us who God says you are, and maybe half or more of us would say, I don't really know. Um, Jesus asked the question, he says uh, to Peter, who do people say that I am? Who, and then they, they had all these things going on. And then who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, you are the rock. He named him the rock on whom I will build, on whom I will build my church. We're going to have some fun in coming weeks talking about our identity and who God says you are specifically. You are his son. The name that he gives you is going to be something that is in complete character with one of his attributes or who he is. It's never different. It's always a part of it because we're made in the image of God. I'd like you to be thinking about that. This morning... Uh, this morning we have such a, a wonderful, a wonderful morning. I, you know, people say all the time, you know, to Wes and to Larry, to to the leadership team. How do, how do you guys come up with all these things? Well, a lot of it's relationships. A lot of it's uh, living in Middle Tennessee, where we have tremendous resources with people who are here who are called by God to do all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's just that we want to hear from you, and we'll we'll ask one of you guys to stand up here and share your story. Um, Buddy Green um, stumbled into uh, church. Um, well, no. <laughs> we were at Christ Press one morning, and, and uh, Buddy Green had just been to Praise Gathering this 1987. And I, I talked to him afterwards and said, man, this is just incredible. And we were working at that time in the music business with our company. And he said, well, can I come see you? And uh, we sat down and talked, and he said, well, would you, would you be able to help a guy who plays harmonica and does this crazy thing that I do? I go, I have absolutely no idea what I could do for you, what our company could do for you, but we would sure like to try. And that has begun uh, what is now 35 or 36 years of friendship. Uh, I don't think we ever did sign a contract. Uh, we, we just did handshake business like the Amish people do. Um, Buddy has, Buddy grew up in Macon, Georgia. Um, uh, came out of a, of, of, of a Christian family, um, had his time in the wilderness, he can tell you all about that, but played with Jerry Reed, uh, perfected the, the music thing, has worked with uh, the top musicians in this city and some other places around the world, uh, been to the Merle Fest, that's a big credit, right? Yeah? Yeah, Doc Watson, Merle Watson, all this stuff. So, uh, well known in the, in the bluegrass community. Uh, interestingly, he only had a record contract out of all these years. Was it two years? One year. <laughs> and these, these people who, who remain, you would all know who they are, but these people were trying to force this guy into a box, into a mold, and it just didn't work. And he walked away from it and created his own life uh, in the calling that God had for him uh, and is just one of my favorite people on the planet. Buddy, would you come and do whatever you're going to do this morning? Give him a big welcome.
Thank you, Wes. Um, I don't usually get introduced by somebody that knows me as well as Wes does. He's he saved all of the all of the juicy stuff that we talk about on walks we take together or when we get together from time to time to compare notes. Ricky, you getting that all right? So Wes asked me if I could, you know, would mind coming here and being a speaker. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's a stretch, you know, because I'm a... I'm really, if I'm trained to do anything, it's to be an entertainer, and, uh, but, but I'm a storyteller too, and I've loved weaving that into what I do uh, on stage. So I'm just going to, I'm experimenting this morning. I brought my guitar and my harmonicas as total security blankets, you know, just if things start going south or if I start spewing heresy, then I'm going to pick up a harmonica and... So let me, let me do something here. In fact, I'll get you guys, the ones of you that don't have grits in your teeth, can uh, maybe help me on a little chorus that says, ooh, wait a minute. I might need this. <clears throat> There's an old gospel song called 12 Gates to the City. It says, ooh, what a beautiful city. Oh, what a beautiful city now. Oh, what a beautiful city. Twelve gates to the city. Hallelujah. Amen. You notice I'm keeping this on the bottom shelf for a, a room full of men that have, have no uh, overheads to look at or anything. So, But when that chorus comes around, just help me out now. Well, I saw the new Jerusalem city, long and deep as it was wide, coming down out of heaven, beautiful and holy, prepared to be God's bride. Well, there's no more crying in the city, and no more death or pain. Well, everything's made new, it's the gospel truth, and all the old things have passed away. Can you help me now? Oh, what a beautiful city. Oh, what a beautiful city, God knows. What a beautiful city. Twelve gates to the city. Hallelujah. Amen. Oh, well, I didn't see a temple in the city. I saw God and the Lamb instead. I saw the glory of God giving light, and the Lamb was a lamp, like the Revelator said. Well, every tribe, a nation, and tongue, well, they were walking together as one. All the kings of the earth were singing their worth, and to the city that needs no sun, can you help me now? Oh, what a beautiful city. Oh, what a beautiful city, God knows. It's a beautiful city. Twelve gates to the city. Hallelujah. and the end you know the lion and the lamb the great i am he's got a message for every kind of men and he says if you're thirsty come to the city come drink from the water of life you know there is no cost don't 
don't stay lost to come inherit your eternal life can you help me now oh what a beautiful city oh what a beautiful city now oh what a beautiful city 12 gates to the city hallelujah amen in the east three gates in the north three gates in the south three gates in the west whoa and that makes 12 gates to the city hallelujah amen oh what a beautiful city oh now a beautiful city god knows it's a beautiful city 12 gates to the city hallelujah amen you know there were 12 gates to the city hallelujah amen i say there were 12 gates to the city hallelujah I learned that chorus a long, long time ago, and and so one day I I, I, I knew right away when I heard that song that it was um, based on what happens at the book of Revelation in the last couple of chapters there, where it mentions there were three gates in the east, three in the north, three in the south, three in the west, 12 gates to the city, open all the time. All the kings of the nations were flowing in. You know, there's no more sun, no more night. And God and Jesus, so they light up this city, they light up this new world, this new creation. And so I, it was becoming one of my favorite images and things to, to think about. And uh, so I just went over there to that, to those last two chapters and started reading that. And, you know, the, this old song, it, it had verses like, you know, if you see my mama in the city, would you tell her this for me? Tell her I'm on my way to the city. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, it didn't get any more theological than that right there. <laughs> and uh, so I started looking at these, at these, uh, at this revelation that, G that John's having at the end of the book of Revelation, it just was blowing my mind what he had to say. So I, I started thinking, well, you know, whoever wrote this song is dead and the publishing's up for grabs. So I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to add to this. And I, I just started writing my own verses. I saw the new Jerusalem city long and deep as it was wide coming down out of heaven, beautiful and holy, prepared to be God's bride. There's no more crying in the city. Uh, no more death or pain. Everything's made new. That's the gospel truth. All the old things have passed away. Oh, what a beautiful city. What a beautiful city. Now, I'll, I'm just going to tell you a little bit of my story. We'd be here all day. 
But, uh, and I'm going to concentrate more on, on what's happened in the last um, 30, 40 years. <laughs> Get it down to an, an, a manageable hunk there. But, you know, the, the early background is, uh, I did grow up in the church in the Deep South, Baptist, um, wandered away by the time I was a, uh, an adolescent and stayed lost for until I was nearly 30 years old. And a lot of, I was basically an idiot during that whole period, just making one bad choice after another until probably my mid-20s or so, I, I started realizing that I needed some help. Uh, I was too sh shy, insecure, embarrassed to let anybody know that. Um, and so uh, I just started sneaking into the Bible every once in a while. And, you know, going to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mainly because I wanted to see who Jesus was, you know. My, my idea of Jesus was based on Jesus Christ Superstar and all the sort of um, common notions of the day, you know, how we would like to remake Jesus into a, you know, sign of a peace, love, and joy, uh, hippie. Um, and, uh, and, and actually, I did run into some things like that where he looked a little bit like that in some of those gospel accounts. But then there were just crazy things would happen. And uh, I was really attracted to this person right away. Um, I started sneaking into church. I'd wait 15 minutes for after the service had started so I didn't have to talk to anybody. And I'd go sit on the back row. And, uh, and I didn't go to the Baptist church because I knew that drill. <laughs> you, know, when it, when, when, you know, when it get down toward the end, it was, it was decision time. And they were going to, you know, they were going to give the invitation and wait for you to come forward. And I was just like, no, I'm not. I'm just... I'm looking for information. So, so uh, I went to the Presbyterian church and sat on the back row. And then at the end, when he finished the sermon, he just said, shall we pray? And he bowed his head, and I just could slip out. I thought, yeah, I need this church for a while. So that was my church for a couple of years, just sneaking in and out and listening and getting information and going away and thinking about it. You know, I really wanted to reform myself, and I didn't know how to do that. Uh, every time I tried it, it seems I just made things worse. I, I was more and more convinced of how powerless I was to do any, to be any kind of a, anything close to a righteous person. And uh, so slowly, well, I, I started going to a Bible study. This guy came up to me one night. I was playing in a bar in Macon, Georgia, my hometown. And uh, I was on a break, and he came up to me, and he was a brand-new Christian. So he didn't know any better than to not hang out in bars yet. So he comes walking up to me and says, Hey, man, I like what you did. That was so cool, man. You're talented. Why don't you, uh, why don't you bring your stuff over to my Bible study on Tuesday nights? I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait. And uh, I said, you know, I, I don't know any church music. And he said, uh, hey, don't worry. Just uh, I listen to you tonight. Just do your clean stuff. That'll be good enough, you know. And I, so I like this guy. He had, he had some good attitude. I went over to his house, and really that sort of became church for about a year or two. Um, it was a bunch of riffraff, people I didn't really know, but they were as bad off as I was, musicians and derelicts and hippies. And, and uh, we had this uh, Presbyterian minister there who, uh, poor guy, had to teach us. And what a bunch of riffraff. You know, we'd show up and start uh, drinking coffee and um, 
cigarettes out on the front porch, and then my friend Gary, uh, whom I'd met there, he, he'd come out and he'd go, all right, put them out, come on in, you know, and we'd go in there and sit down in the living room, and this poor guy, he was just straight-laced as he could be, just right up and down Presbyterian, and he'd, he'd, he'd teach from um, the Gospel of John or Proverbs. I remember those two books that he spent a lot of time there. And we'd ask, you know, it was great because if I'd have been in church, I never would have asked a question. But we asked all kinds of questions, you know. Hey, what about sex? You know, uh, what about um, pot smoking? Can we, I mean, nothing in there specifically about that, is it, you know? <laughs> and then I remember one of the, uh, one of the, there was a couple there, and their names were Joe and Feather. <laughs> and Feather, she said, you know, doesn't it say in there somewhere that you can partake from every herb bearing seed, man? I mean, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, then, and then she followed it up by saying, you know, if Jesus came back and knocked on my door, I mean, the polite thing at my house is we'd offer him a joint. <laughs> so it was that kind of place. Uh, but I'd go home from those things and think about what we talked about and what I'd heard in the teaching and all. And what became more and more clear to me uh, as far as understanding the gospel was that um, Jesus was talking about something that was available, but it was this mysterious thing. He referred to it like water welling up inside, overflowing. And, and he was really talking about a spiritual life that we can't manufacture, but that God wants to produce in us somehow. I didn't know what that looked like or how that was going to work. But I remember one night coming home from one of those things and just kind of doing an inventory of my life and just saying, okay, God, if you're real, if your son really died on the cross, and this felt like intellectual suicide because I'd been to college and I'd, I'd had it all explained away for me. But to sit there and, and, and talk to God and say, if your son really rose from the dead, and if he's alive and well somehow and your spirit's moving around, then move into me however you do that and help. I mean, that was it. It was just this basic thing. It's been interesting in these last few years as I've, I've become more of a psalm reader. How many of the psalms say basically just about that? You know, it's like, help, where are you? I really need you. My enemies are kicking my butt, you know. And that's what, um, that's what I was doing um, with God that night. And he heard. And, and all I know is after that, I just realized, all right, I really want this to work. So let me say within, probably within a year of that, I was in Nashville. I was married. I was going to a Presbyterian church, Christ Prayers. They were meeting in Hillsborough High School. I was getting good teaching. And... Um, and I was, I, mean, I was a new person, felt like it anyway. Felt like I had a new lease on life. And then for the next really 20 years or so, I, um, I became a good Presbyterian. Well, I wouldn't say good, but I became a Presbyterian. And I, and I, and I sort of took in everything through that grid. And it was, uh, it was a good grid. I mean, I, it, was, it emphasized a lot of the things I needed to hear, uh, like my depravity, um, God's irresistible grace, all these things that were coming down to me through this sort of reformed teaching I was hearing every Sunday, every time I went through the door there, and emphasizing the fact of how much I needed grace, how desperately I needed it and all. 
But it was a, it was a you know it was a, it was a, a systematic. If you're a Baptist, you 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 get the same thing at your church. If you're Catholic, whatever, you're you're hearing things through a systematic. Okay, because it's some way for us to get a handle on this huge, mysterious, big, wonderful thing called God and His Word and His story, and it's kind of the only way we can do it. But I, I think probably by the late 90s or so, after being a Presbyterian so long, it just was not, um, it was not doing everything I needed for it to do. And I remember, do y'all remember Bill Lane? There was, some of you do, that been, uh, Bill lived here for a few years. He came here with terminal cancer and then got a community of, of men around him and taught a bunch of us. And one of the things Bill talked about one time, he mentioned, um, somebody said, asked him a question that was along the lines of like, a, you know, you could tell this person came from a reformed background or whatever. And Bill said, well, that sounds like a good, uh, a good question from a reformed uh, perspective. But you know, uh, it, biblical theology will, will actually take you deeper into the weeds and into the place where you don't, you maybe you can't come up with an, an answer, ironclad for, for what you're asking. I thought, biblical theology, what, what is he talking about? And, uh, you know, by this time, I was getting close to 50, um, and, or at least in my mid-40s, and it was sort of a midlife crisis coming on and all this, and I just started reading the Bible like I'd never read it before. I started using, somebody had told me about the Book of Common Prayer, uh, that the Episcopalians, Anglicans use. And uh, I forget how I even really discovered this. But in the back of the Book of Common Prayer, some of you probably know this, there's a thing called the Daily Office. And it's kind of a two-year reading plan to get you through the Bible, but also along the lines that, that keeps you tied into the Christian calendar. So it starts at Advent, takes you through Christmas, Epiphany, Lent, Eastertide, um, all, all the way down through Pentecost and the Ascension. And then there's about, I don't know, several months of what they call ordinary time. And then it starts over again with Advent. So, so I started reading the Bible. And it was, I was reading more than I ever had. I mean, typically in a day, uh, you would read a morning psalm, an evening psalm, maybe a couple of morning psalms, a couple of evening psalms, an Old Testament reading, New Testament reading. Uh, like from one of the letters or from Revelation, say, and then a, a reading from the gospel. And uh, I started reading all this part of the Bible that I had avoided um, as a Presbyterian. Because <laughs> you know what we do when, when we're working from a schematic is we go to, our, to the places that sort of reinforce the good stuff we're hearing, and we stay there. So, man, I, I could camp out in Galatians all day and Romans and go to those proof texts and love them and all. But, uh, man, I, I had not spent much time in Nahum or, uh, or Isaiah, or any of the prophets for that matter, except maybe to find one of those, um, one of those foretellings of Jesus coming. Or, you know, that. But as far as like reading a whole prophetic work like Jeremiah or Isaiah, I'd never done it. And, uh, and then reading the Psalms, I, I was... Really ignorant of the Psalms. I knew, you know, the basics, Psalm 23, Psalm 100, something like that, maybe. But to get into the Psalms, you know, Israel's choir book, and just 
let that be the framework of my reading. It was new to me. Um, somewhere along the line, I was also reading some great stuff. I was, I was, um, I had become familiar with uh, the writings of Eugene Peterson. Eugene, you know, wrote the message, um, great paraphrase of the Bible, and and um, and I'd been using. I guess that's how I knew about Eugene as I started reading the message, and found it very helpful, especially in places where I just felt like, what's really being said there, or um, that's a strange way to put something. Let's see how the message puts it, you know, or and so it would just give me something else to think about, and sometimes it was really helpful. But I started, I started hearing that Eugene had written, I spent a lot of time writing books, and mostly to pastors. He had a real heart and a burden for the pastoral community out there. And so his books were not hot sellers, you know, and that you'd find in Christian bookstores or whatever. In fact, you hardly found them anywhere. And I usually had to find some used copy of something, and I'd read it. And, um, but somewhere along the way, he, he talked about reductionism, that this is sort of a human tendency. Uh, especially moderns, for moderns to do. Um, we all like to reduce things to some workable bite-sized bit so that we, you know, because we're in such a hurry, we're trying to cram so much into our lives, trying to do so much. So we want to get it down to a sound bite. We want to get it down to, you know, where the, when we're talking about people, we want to reduce them to a stereotype. Or, But, you know, it's all reducing down to something that we think we can manage. It's really all about us controlling something, you know. Well, you can't do that with the Bible. The, the Bible, if, if anything out there is uncontrollable and unmanageable, it's the Bible. And this is what I was starting to realize, is that I had been a reductionist with the Bible. I'd been reducing it down to these bite-sized pieces that I could handle. And, but it wasn't enough because my life was getting more complicated. And I realized that my idea of salvation, which I had reduced to something like, you know, how to get how to get right with God so I could go to heaven one day, reducing the gospel to something like that, reducing um, God's people to Presbyterians, Baptists, maybe a few Catholics, you know, that sort of thing. A real us and them kind of view of God's people. It wasn't enough. So um, then I remembered, um, I started revisiting some of these old stories that I'd read, gosh, hundreds of times. The, um, here's my coffee. Like the road to Emmaus, Jesus resurrected, coming up alongside these two guys on the way to Emmaus, and, and they're just totally bummed because Jesus has died. They don't recognize him in his resurrected body. And, and Jesus sort of plays along. What's going on? Why so downcast? And then they, where have you been? Haven't you heard what's going on? And they try to tell him what's, what's been going on. And then he says, how foolish you are, slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wow, what a! I mean, can you imagine uh, these guys? Because I think they were probably sort of Jewish reductionists in their own right. And for him to kind of blow the doors open and just say, "Here's the story," 
here's the real skinny of what's going on, coming down. And, uh, and then it ends with that beautiful picture of them, you know, they won't, he, they come to a cross in the rows and he starts to go and they say, oh no, come, stay with us. They want more. And they take him home and sitting at the table, breaking bread, this beautiful communion takes place. And when, when he breaks the bread, all of a sudden he's gone. And, but their eyes are open. They got eyes to see. And they say, gosh, didn't our hearts burn? And you see this amazing conversion to this larger understanding of who they are as God's people, who this person is, this mysterious person that's just shown up. And, and then, you know, they can't wait to go find the disciples and tell them. It's just one of my favorite stories. But I also, things started pointing out to me, it's, it's like, what did Jesus use? You know, he didn't, he didn't have Luke 2. <laughs> he didn't have the passion accounts from the Gospels to tell them, to explain. What did he use? He used the Old Testament, he, what we call. So he went back to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Nahum and Jonah and um, Amos and all these. And he went back, all, you know, all the way back to Moses. So I started realizing that's really what I need. I need that kind of Bible study. And um, that's been going on now for close to 20 years. And, and especially, I'd say faithfully for the last 10, 12 years. That I can't get up in the morning without usually going to the, um, to the daily office and, and just and keeping up with the calendar. Because I love the way the Christian calendar helps me keep the big picture in mind. As I, as I study the word. And I'm not cherry picking anymore. I'm having to deal with these, you know, like I'll find myself over in the Old Testament sometime and I think, man, I would not have done it like that. <laughs> and, I, and I'll come away with so much now where I have no answers. And I got a lot more questions. But I've also, uh, you know, I think maybe I used to um, approach the Bible as an answer book. I needed answers for my life. I, ne I needed those kind of answers. But I think what has become in the last 20 years is more of a question book. It's, it's a question book to me. Have you ever noticed uh, how many times God is asking questions in the Bible? I mean, right from the get-go in Genesis. Adam, where are you? Who told you you were naked? And then, what have you done? And then to Cain, what have you done? Wow. Um, I love the book of Jonah, how it all comes down to a question from God at the end. And um, I, I don't know if you've spent much time in the book of Jonah, but it is not just a whale tale. It is just one of the most revealing comic um, uh, stories to kind of reveal who we are as people. And especially if we think we're God's people. Um, and then our place in the world, it's really just has these cosmic dimensions to it that once you start reading a little four-chapter book like Jonah, it will blow your mind. And it gets me to think about what it is, where, how am I like Jonah? And at the end, it gets me to wrestle with God's questions because God's questions are subversive. He really wants to get in there and smoke us out, get us out into the open so that we're actually having to deal with real life and be honest with ourselves with our friends mostly with him so we can do real business with him 
So that's really all I, I had to share this morning was to say, I don't know where you are in your, in your, in your Bible reading, but if you're, a, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in, in this God of the universe, then I hope you're in it all the time, every day, because, I mean, when I think of all the voices that are yelling at me throughout the day, through the media, through the news, through uh, social media, all these things, not to mention my crazy friends and, <laughs> and my, own, my own voice casting doubt on this or puffed up in pride or whatever it is that I'm, I'm listening to myself say. What I really need to hear is this, is this still small voice that cuts through that and I gotta get still, I gotta get quiet, I gotta quit reducing, I gotta open up and say, all right, God, help me see the big picture, show me my place in it, and then help help. I'm just like that kid, that kid back in my little one-room apartment crying, help, help. This is too much. I can't do it. I acted like an idiot yesterday. I, sh you know, I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I hear God saying again, what have you done? Who told you you were naked? Where are you? It's, it's just been the best thing. And I think God is more personal than he's ever been, and he's more mysterious than he's ever been. And somehow it works. So, oh shoot! I tell you what. That was such a good breakfast. Puckett's is such a good place. We don't need another spiritual song. We need a chicken song. Yeah. Good eggs this morning, right? So I, I, I love doing this song. This is, a, this is one of those mysterious songs. Nobody knows where it comes from. It just, uh, I have my theory about a song like this. I feel like maybe one of my relatives from several generations back, um, you know, um, all my folks, they come from poor rural and urban backgrounds, but whoever this guy was, he didn't have much. He had one chicken left in the yard, and it was an, an unproductive chicken. So this chicken's days were numbered. <clears throat> Cluck old hen. And this will conclude my presentation this morning. Well, I had an old hen, had a wooden leg. <laughs> no, how did it go? Let's see. Let's see. <laughs> so, I, well, I had an old hen, <laughs> wouldn't lay an egg. So I poured hot water up and down her leg. Little chicken hollered, little, hit, little chicken begged. Little chicken laid me a hard-boiled egg.
Well, I had an old hen, had a wooden leg, best old hen that ever laid an egg. Laid more eggs than any hen around the barn. No other drink of whiskey wouldn't do me any harm. Cluck old hen, cluck and sing. I ain't laid an egg since away last spring. Cluck old hen, cluck and squall. I ain't laid an egg since away last fall. She lays eggs for the railroad men Sometimes one, sometimes two Sometimes enough for the whole darn crew Well, cluck old hen, cluck and squall Ain't laid an egg since away last fall Cluck old hen, cluck and squall Ain't laid an egg since away last fall Cluck old hen, cackle in the lot. Next time you cluck, you'll cackle in the pot. Thank you, fellas. Read your Bible. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. You see what some of our walks and, um, are like, um, and we like to sit around and smoke our pipes, and pipe smoking is a wonderful spiritual uh, thing because you have to spend so much time keeping the darn thing lit that you have time to think before you answer the question he's going to come up with. Yeah, so, um, buddy, thank you so much. Um, this, this is just um, a little snapshot of the journey that we're on, that we're all on. And uh, I encourage you to take one thing out of what he said this morning, just make it your own. Um, and then, Mark, thank you for bringing this poster this morning, um, The Jesus Revolution. My wife came to faith in Christ uh, about 1974 through uh, the ministry of Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith. Um, and we've had a Christian home because of that. Uh, I encourage you if, you, if you were around the Jesus movement or, or a bystander or didn't even, maybe you weren't born, some of you guys are young. Uh, most of you guys are not young. Um, but go see this. And there was a fire that came um, and swept our nation. That, that it, was a, it was a refining fire that called us to Jesus. Um, the hue and cry of the Jesus movement, which which invigorated my life when I was in my early 20s. There was one, one thing we would say to everybody we met, whether it was a waitress, write it on the receipt, whatever. I mean, it, it, we, would not, we weren't pushing Jesus or anything down anybody's throat. We would just say, you know what? Mark, Jesus loves you. The whole revolution was carried on those words, Jesus loves you. And we're trying, we're trying 
after that to put systematic things in. We're trying to put our, our way of understanding God. How do you explain the mystery of God? Go back to the basics, the basic three. Jesus loves you. It is transformative. It transformed my life. Buddy, thank you for being here. Thank you, brothers, for coming on a rainy, now sunny day. Blessings as you go. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother.